0: Now I want to introduce my brother, uh, I'm excited to hear him preach, uh, my brother Jamie Canalti. Um, I just love his heart that he has for the Lord and I know that as our pastor is being refreshed on vacation, I know that he is going to bring the word and I'm just excited to hear what he says. So let's give Jamie a warm, warm welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Man, Thank you very much. It's, it's a real blessing to be here. I really appreciate um, Pastor Paul giving the opportunity to do this. Um, it's always a sobering thing to bring forth God's word, but it's a, it's a joy as well. And so I'm just really excited to be with you guys today and to worship with you and to, to go into his word together. So with that, I know we're, we're still giving the offering. Could we just bow our heads one more time and let's just go before the Lord? Father, we do thank you for this new day. We thank you for a day to, to worship you and honor you, Father. Um, we do thank you for the Rhodes family. We thank you and pray you continue to bless them as they're away and bless their travel. We, we pray for all the brethren that are traveling or going to and from somewhere that you would watch over them and keep them, Lord, this morning. Um, but, Lord, we're thankful to be in this place this day. We rejoice. And, 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 Lord, I ask this morning that you would stir our hearts. Father God, as we, as we talk about uh, the call of God, as we talk about, Lord, your calling upon our lives, Lord God, I pray that you would stir us up, Father God. Father, maybe for some of us there's things that you spoke to us years ago and and those things maybe are lying dormant, but I'm praying this morning you would stir up uh, your word, that your living voice would speak to us this morning, Lord God, and that we would be receptive to that. Father, give us spiritual eyes that see, give us spiritual ears that hear, give us spiritual hearts that are sensitive and inclined to your ways this morning, O God. And we just give you thanks and praise, Lord, that your word would go forth this morning and not return to you void or empty. But let it accomplish everything you send it to do. And we give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as, as Adam said, I'm, I'm Jamie, and I, I know many, many of you, but there's probably some I still don't know that well. So um, I, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. My family, and I maybe my wife can raise her hand. In case you don't know our family, we're that big group somewhere there in the back. And um, my precious wife, my kids, and, and my mother as well who are here. So um, i just thankful for them. Um, I want to talk this morning about the call of God. And I guess I'm not always big on titles. But if I had to, I'd call it recognizing and responding to the, to the call of God. Um, and, and we're going to be in the book of Esther. You know, it was interesting. Earlier this year, it felt like everywhere I was, I was going, no matter what church here or Bible study. We have, we have a Bible study at our work and um, there, or, you know, a different prayer meeting, it seemed like for a while everything I was hearing was wisdom and wisdom and God, Proverbs and, and all this. And then um, one afternoon, one of, the, one of our weekly Bible studies at work, it actually was kind of, a, kind of a fill-in, if you will, it was a substitute. And the regular guy couldn't come, he was going to do Proverbs, and all of a sudden another brother came and shared on, on Esther, because he'd been studying it, so he brought it. Well then, just the way things worked out, divine intervention, whatever, we ended up spending about three or four weeks in Esther. And while this is a book I'm familiar with and, you know, kind of know the plot and the story or the main characters, it was just interesting to me how God began to really bring to life a lot of things I I don't know if I'd just never seen before or just hadn't been ready to to receive. Um, And so that book is really, some of the messages in Esther have been stirring in me since then. And so when Pastor Rhodes... uh, Offered me to have an opportunity to speak. That was kind of what w- was in me, and I wanted to bring forth, or I felt like the Lord wanted to bring forth. Um, if you don't know, and, and there's so much in Esther. Esther's, I was saying to some brethren a little while ago, Esther is actually a great Bible study book because there's just so much. You know, it's whatever it is, twelve chapters long, and it's. But there's just so much plot. There's so many characters. There's so many different things, and I promise you, I'm not going to try to even attempt to get into all that today. We're going to focus in the first couple of chapters, um, looking, but. One thing I think it's important to know and I think it fits in with what I'm talking about today is that the book of Esther, some have called the silent book or or other names and not not always in a positive way. The reason for that is Esther is is the one book that I know of in the the word of God that has no explicit reference of God. So you're not going to see the Lord in there or God or Jehovah or Yahweh or or whatever. You're not going to see that even explicitly written there. You're not going to see the word prayer not even once you're not going to see the word worship, not even once. You're not going to see sacrifice, not even once. And so this book actually has been, through the centuries, has been scorned by some, and maybe even in modern times, um, because maybe it's too secular. Maybe it's too, you know, just not, I don't know, spiritual enough for, for a lot of people. And, and I guess I can see that. I can certainly see that on the surface, especially, like I just said, when you realize that certain things aren't there. But... This book has come alive to me. I I am convinced this this book is totally God-inspired, and in fact, here's what I would ask us as we go into this message on the call is, could it be sometimes that it's in the silence that God gets our attention the most? Could it be sometimes in the lack of vernacular that God is speaking? If you think about sometimes with Jesus, he didn't always give real direct answers to questions, did he? Sometimes his answer was, it's just me and I embodied. The answer you're looking for. I, I think of Pontius Pilate uh, talking to Jesus, you know, when he's got him up and he's deciding what to do with him. And they get into the conversation and Jesus tells them, you know, I was, I was born to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate says, well, what is truth? And it's interesting, at least in, in the, what we have recorded, Jesus didn't answer that. And sometimes I've wondered if the silence was more loud than any words he could have said at that moment. In other words... Pilate, you're looking at truth. You're looking, I am the truth, as he told us in the book of of, of John. And and so as we look at the book of Esther, I would just just encourage you, and and as we think of that in this book, let's apply that to our lives before we dig in. Could it be sometimes some of us feel like we're in a place of silence with God? And when I say silence, not just because you're going in a room and turning off the radio or whatever, but a place where maybe you're, you're waiting to hear from God. Maybe you've been been kind of like, God, I need to know what to do next. Or, you know, I'm not sure yet on this thing, this leaning I have that I feel is from you or this inclination. And what I would encourage you this morning as we read Esther is that maybe that's divinely sent. Maybe God has you in that place and he's preparing you. Maybe he's moving behind the scenes in a way you don't even know yet. And God is preparing you in the meantime for that. So we're going to look at God's divine call. We're going to look at um, how Esther came to recognize it and to respond to it. And so I would say the same thing this, to us this morning. Can we recognize that? Are we looking for that, God's call in our lives? I'm going to encourage you to think big today, maybe dream big a little bit today. Maybe, because we're all, most of us, we're so busy, we're just caught up. I'm just trying to survive. I just got to get the kids over here. I got to take care of this. I got to go to work. I got to do all this stuff. But, you know what, That's why we, this is why we have Sabbath. This is why we have rest at times sometimes, just to be able to sit and let that stuff just kind of wait till tomorrow. You know, each day has enough, what, of its own busyness, right? Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. So I just encourage you this morning, is let, let God speak to you this morning in this way. The background for the book of Esther is, it's in Persia. So we find these Jews. We're going to meet Esther and Mordecai and others. They're they're in Persia, the city of Susa. Many believe that you know these were exiles. We know they were. You know Mordecai had been exiled through the whole Babylonian thing, and then you know under I believe it was under King Cyrus, Persia had defeated Babylon. It's believed that many of those Jewish exiles had had made their way over to Persia, following that when when Persia had defeated Babylon. So we're going to do a little bit of summary, and then we'll, 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 do some, we'll get into some of the scriptures. The first chapter of, of Esther is important background for us. We meet King Xerxes. He's a, he's a king who ruled about 20 years in the uh, 480s to 460 time frame. And Esther chapter one tells us that this king uh, d- decided he was a man of great wealth, as many kings were, and he went on a half a year, 180-day period, where he, it sounds like he invited his military leaders, his nobles. Perhaps they were strategizing for, for war with Greece, because that was kind of their main competitor at the time. And he brought these guys, and for a half a year, he displayed the greatness of his kingdom and his wealth. So he, he was a very pompous man. He wanted to show everything he had. And, and the Word of God in Esther 1 tells us, and I'm summarying, that on the final day uh, and then he had a banquet. He had a seven-day banquet, kind of the exclamation point on this on this 180 days. And at, at the end of this banquet, day seven, Word of God says he was high in spirit. He was drunk. And he calls for his wife. Her name is Queen Vashti. And he calls for her. She was evidently a very beautiful woman. To come and display her beauty. Some scholars believe maybe he was asking her to do something a little immoral or a little uh, maybe not so proper. Don't know for sure. But whatever the reason was, or maybe um, she just didn't want to follow him anymore, for whatever reason, she basically said no. She said no to this command. Now, this very powerful king has said, you come and as my queen and show off your beauty. Um, we know this isn't uncommon. Sometimes men like a beautiful someone just to show off that it makes them feel better about themselves. Whatever the reason was, uh, Vashti said no, and which resulted in King Xerxes then deciding to go to his lawyers, his lawyers of the day, to say, what do we do about this? And being a bunch of insecure men, they figured, well, you know what, if she gets away with this, all the other women are going to get away with this. And so uh, a law was made that Vashti would no longer be able to appear before the king. She'd be banished. And and this would send a message to all the other women. Aren't you glad? We've come a little ways since then. But um, so that's what opens the door then to meeting Esther right? So there, there's no queen. Actually, it's interesting, between Esther 1 and Esther chapter 2, there's, a, there's actually a four-year period. We know that because in Esther 1, it says Xerxes was in his third year as, as king. Chapter 2, we find out he was in the seventh year. So there's a four-year span, and that might have been because they went to war with Greece. But when they come back, they say, you know what, king? Remember, you banished Vashti. It's time to get a new queen in place. And so they go through this process of looking for a, a, a new queen. And I'm going to Pick it up in Esther chapter 2 and verse 5. If you want to turn there with me. Esther chapter 2 and verse 5. And it says, Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, and that's going to be Esther, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman was also known as Esther. She had a lovely figure, she was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother had died. So we, we, get, this, uh, we get this first little introduction to both. Basically, Mordecai is, is Esther's probably like second cousin or something. Um, and when her parents both die we don't know we're not told why he steps in. And, and takes over uh, to raise her. The, the next few verses tell us then how she gets, she gets brought in as kind of one of the candidates for a queen. Again, we know she's, she's beautiful. She gets all these treatments. She kind of finds favor immediately with the, kind of the king's main attendant. And so, you know, she's getting all the treatments. She has attendants or servants who are assigned to her. Um, and she's immediately kind of rising in the polls, if you will, in the Persian leadership. And, uh, and then we get to verse 10, if we're still in Esther chapter 2, and then it tells us that Esther had not revealed her nationality, in other words, being a Jew, or her family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. And every day, he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the, of the harem of this group of women to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. So let's just, let's just stop on that little snapshot. We get get a glimpse into Mordecai, we get a glimpse into Esther, and and what do we know so far? I think what we see in Mordecai is a man who's a great example of a a loving father heart. He reflects a loving father heart. He's taken in this young relative. I don't know how close they were before that, but here was a man who saw a need, a young lady who didn't have a mom or dad, and he takes her in and he raises her. Okay. We find out in verse 15, it actually says, That Esther was the girl Mordecai adopted. At least the the NIV uses the word adopted. So there's that sense of adoption. It's, again, the father heart of God. God is a God who's adopted us, right, into his family. And and Mordecai has this heart. I love love the wording we just read in verse 11. Every day he walked back and forth. So he's over by the, the king's gate over here, and then somewhere over here, you know, are all these, these women who are being trained or, or raised up as potential queen candidates. And we find Mordecai walking over every day, back and forth. How's she doing? I wonder how she's doing today. Looking for her. You know, isn't that really a, an awesome picture of parenthood? Isn't that a picture of us as parents sometimes looking over, giving oversight to our kids? We, we, we know we have to adapt it as they get older, right, because they get more independent. But, but there's always that sense of checking on them, making sure they're well. How is it with their soul? How are they doing? Are they safe? All these things that we do, you know, it really gives me a picture of what even the scriptures talk about, like a leader, an elder, or an overseer. You're, you're, you're giving oversight to someone. So a really neat picture into the, into the life of Mordecai. Esther, we don't see a lot, but what we do see is she's obedient to Mordecai's wisdom. We just, we just read that um, she obeyed his instruction. His instruction was, I don't want you to reveal who you are. And so she doesn't do it. Uh, we're told later on in the chapter uh, of, of Esther... Um, that she followed his instructions always as she had done when he was raising her. So here is a very godly young lady. She sees the wisdom in this father figure who's raising her to honor that. And and again, I think these are really important characteristics. We're going to get to the big crisis and the big moment for Esther and Mordecai. But before we do, I think it's really important sometimes to pause and just see some of the characteristics of their lives. And then we get one more glimpse at the end of chapter 2. And it says, we're we're told that um, in verses 19 to 23, and I'm going to pick it up in in verse 21, that during the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, uh, Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry, and they conspired to assassinate uh, King Xerxes. So here we have an assassination plot um, many, Some believe that maybe they were sympathizers to Queen Vashti, maybe this was payback, who knows, but they're plotting to assassinate the king. And Mordecai, being kind of somewhat influential, being by the, by the, by the, kind of the, the flow of information of the day, he overhears this. And it says in 22, Mordecai find, found out about the plot and he told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when it was investigated and found to be true, The two officials were impaled on poles. All this was recorded in the book of Annals in the presence of the king. Now, it would be very easy to read that and say, okay, that's kind of interesting, but big deal, right? Let's move on. But again, we're talking about how sometimes in the midst of the mundane, God is moving. God is working behind the scenes. This incident is going to prove to be pivotal later on. And the reason is, is because in this moment, Mordecai has, sa- has done something to save the king. There's no immediate reward. There's no immediate recognition, we're told. But that last statement says all this was recorded in the book of annals. And while we're not going to go there today, it's going to be later when the king can't sleep that he's going to have one of his scribes come and just, you know, read me that book of annals thing. You know, probably, you know how it is, like a textbook, you don't, can't get to sleep, you read something really boring, right? And so he gets the book of annals out, let's just read this thing, something to put me to sleep. Nothing else is working. And it's there that he rereads about this plot and this Mordecai. and He's like, wait, 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 stop again. Who, 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 who exposed this plot? Uh, it was this Mordecai. And it's there that it's going to begin to turn the tables on all the momentum that's going against uh, Mordecai, Esther, and really the, the entire Jewish race at that point. But I say this because again, another glimpse into Mordecai. He honors the king. By exposing a plot. Or let me put it in real simple language, he does the right thing. He just simply does the right thing. Someone's about to do something evil, he gets involved to stop an evil act. I know that sounds really basic, but you know, I think we're living more and more in a, in a world, in a culture, that it's not just that simple anymore to just do the right thing. And God, though, will always honor that. I know sometimes we just it can even seem like I'm just tired of doing the right thing. Maybe sometimes we don't feel rewarded for it, like Mordecai didn't initially. Maybe it feels mundane to us. But brethren, I want to encourage us always that we should pursue to do the right thing as unto the Lord. God looks over that. God blesses that. And perhaps it's part of the whole thing of preparing our hearts when we are going to have to respond to a specific call of God at maybe a higher level. That's the groundwork. Isn't it Jesus who told us that those who have been faithful in little, right, will be faithful in what? In much, right? And so it's in the little things sometimes that we we show our responsiveness to God. In that same incident, we get another glimpse into Esther. Again, seems like a small detail, but it says that Esther, when she reported it to the king... To save him, all right, so she took the next step. It was kind of a baton. Mordecai, again, he can't go before the king, but he exposes the plot to Esther, gets word to Esther. Esther goes to the king. They both had to do their part. But what I love about it is she was very clear to give full credit to who in this? Anybody? Mordecai, right? Do you know, I can tell you, I've worked for the same company for a lot of years there's a whole lot of people who don't mind stealing someone else's idea. There's a whole lot of people who don't mind taking credit if it will work to their advantage. It's just the kind of world we're in. It's kind of like, you know, you do what you got to do to work, to go up the ladder, to make a position for yourself, make a name for yourself. But here we see Esther could have resisted. She could have just simply, and Mordecai may have never known. She could have said, um, hey, hey King, guess what? I found out about an assassination plot and they're going to take your life. You better do something really quick. And then, he would have been like totally just indebted to Esther and, and Esther would have gotten credit in this book of annals and, and, and everything else, but Esther was very quick. No, 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 it was, it was that man by the doorkeeper named Mordecai, he's the one. Again, it's her, like her dad, but in her reporting of it, she probably was very discreet and she probably just said, Mordecai, he's the one who exposed the plot. And again, God uses every detail. God uses that kind of selflessness. God uses that kind of humility when we say, you know what? here I am, I'm walking into a clear opportunity, I could totally be opportunistic here, and instead we die to ourselves and we, we, we give the actual account so that someone else gets the honor that really they're due. And, and again, it's these little things. So it's these little things in the short term that are going to pay dividends in the long term. Galatians chapter 6 says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So there's that element of continue to do the good thing, continue to love, continue to do the ethical thing, the moral thing before God. And that, that brings me as we talk about the call of God, and, and please, this is no big theologian thing, this is kind of my own vernacular, so, um, but, it, but as I think about the call of God on our lives, I think of it in kind of two different categories. First of all, my term is the common call of God that's true for all believers, so what do I mean by that? What I mean is is that calling of God on all of our lives really, albeit in different circumstances, that He has for each one of us. Okay? So what are some examples of that? So and, and I want and I want you guys, it's okay to 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 yell it back to me so we can hear. So as an example, if you're a married person in this room today. What do you think is a common call of God for you as a married person towards your spouse? What do you think God requires of you? And it's true of every one of us who are married. To do what? Be faithful? Good. Anything else? Love your spouse, Love your spouse right? And I know that sounds simple, but is it that simple anymore in this world? You know, it's, we're sitting here and we said it, it was really easy to say, but it's a very simple thing. But isn't it true? God has called everyone, everyone who goes to the altar and says, I do, God has required of them and called them to love their spouse, to be faithful, to honor them, all those things. How about if you're raising kids this morning in this place? You have children. And really, it doesn't matter the age, but especially if they're younger, what, what, what is the call for every one of us as moms and dads in this place today? What's that? Love them? Good. There we go. That's right. Raise them up in the way they should go. Raise them up in God's way, right? So show them, show them by a great example. Very good. Very good. So those things are true for all of us, right? Nothing unique between me or you or the next person behind you in that. And so we could go on and on. We could talk about finances. You know, God, what does God expect? He expects us to give generously, to work hard for our finances, to be wise in how we spend and not get into foolish debt um, type of thing. Um, what's our... What's our common call toward the lost? Our common call t- toward the lost? What is it, Adam? What's our common calling toward the lost? I knew Adam would know that one. He's passionate about it. So, yeah, we're, we're called to spread the good news. We're, we're called to share it. We may play different roles in that, but we have a common calling. And I, what I think is so important, when we see Esther and Mordecai, these m- seemingly trivial points... But for them, I think that was just them in their, in their sense of their, co- their relationship to God doing the right thing, whether that's how they interacted with each other, whether that's how they interacted in society, you know, exposing a plot, giving credit to someone else. And the point I want to make with that, because obviously we're going to move into something very specific in Esther, is that that's so important. When we talk about in our own lives, man, I don't know what God's calling me to. Well, first of all, he's calling you to these things we just mentioned, Okay? He's calling us to the common things. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Do good unto your neighbor. You know, share, pray for people, share with people. Without a doubt, all those things. And believe me, that, that, that's not something we're going to every day, like, oh, one or two things, and I did my, my calling today. No, God, I mean, it's endless. The, the opportunities we have, things that just come our way, and it's like, okay. I'm, I'm tired, I'm even frustrated today, but God wants me to show love to this person. And and those things are there, but I believe they're the preparation ground for the specific call. Because God also has a specific calling on our lives, and I, I especially want our young people to hear this. God has a calling on your life. God has something unique that he has positioned, he fashions you for, that he wants to raise you up to do that he may not have someone else doing. But first, we need to get it right in these I'll call general or common areas where God has called us. Do the right thing. Practice righteousness. Be generous. Show love. Be kind. All these things, the fruits of the Spirit, whatever you want to say. So as we move on now, we'll we'll, we'll quickly go through this. Esther chapter 3 is kind of the crisis now, right? This is where Haman, many of you guys have read, Haman is the bad guy. He's the villain. And and Haman is a man who King Xerxes has has risen up. He's uh, given him almost unbridled power in, in his Persian empire. He's got all the power except above, above Xerxes. And you know, some have, have speculated that it was not even deserved. He's just kind of one of these guys who's good at getting himself elevated. Um, there's a detail in here we, we find out right away in, in, in Esther chapter 3 that he is an Agagite. And many believe that Agagite comes from, if you remember, back in the book of Samuel, there was a king Agag. That was an Amalekite and the Amalekites and the Israelites were always at war. In fact, this goes all the way back to um, uh, the book of Exodus when the Israelites were fleeing from Egypt, trying to get away and along the journey, there was enough trouble just trying to get away from Egypt, but the Amalekites out of nowhere just came and attacked them. And in fact, I believe that's the account that that Joshua won the battle, and that that was the account where Moses had his hands raised, and Aaron and Hur were holding up his arms. And finally, you know, Joshua and Israel prevailed. But God God actually marked out the Amalekites at that point and actually kind of called over them that they need to be dealt with severely. And um, it was actually King Saul... Who failed to take care of that. He, he, he defeated all the Amalekites, but he let it, he let King Agag live. He kept all the sheep. You remember that? Remember Samuel came in and, why do I hear sheep? And why is the king still alive? And and uh, King Saul kind of stopped short of what he was supposed to do there. But anyway, there had always been rivalry. There had always been a disdain between the Israelites and the Amalekites. And it's very likely that Haman was an Amalekite and, or an Agagite, as they say, based on the name King Agag. And so Uh, We find early on that Haman got such power that when he'd walk in, all the other nobles would bow before him. They would just give him ultimate honor. Well, Mordecai wouldn't. Mordecai said, no, I will not do that. And so other people took note of this. They reported it back to Haman. They also told Haman, hey, by the way, this Mordecai who doesn't bow to you, did you know he's a Jew? And so that just enraged Haman. And in fact, the, the, the scriptures tell us that um, Haman wasn't just satisfied with taking Mordecai out. Now he began to plot to destroy all the Jews. And so here we have one of these things, you know, one of these another plots. And isn't it amazing when you think, you think of the crises in the land. Here we are, you're 2014, and almost every night on the news you're going to hear something, and I think Pastor Rose referred to this the other week, something out of the Middle East, right? And, you know, I, one of my sons, Levi, is a big World War history guy, and we talk a lot. He likes to talk about Germany and history and all that, and we talk about Hitler. And you, you think back to just these guys who want to just eliminate the Jewish race. And here we have, early on, uh, King Haman plotting to do this. And so he casts a lot, and, and this is all, all so interesting. He casts a lot, but when does he do it? He casts lots to find out, when are we going to d- destroy all the Jews? Well, the month that they cast the lots happens to be the month of Passover. And again, I don't think any detail is lost in this book because obviously that's, that's looking back when God has in the past delivered Israel, the Passover month. But it's in that month that Haman plots to destroy them. So there, there's some irony there. But as we move through uh, chapter 3 then, Haman very successfully and cleverly gets King Xerxes to issue a decree And when a king like that issued a decree, it could not be revoked. And he gets him to issue a decree that all the Jews be destroyed. Now Xerxes didn't even realize who he was giving permission to destroy. Because when Haman came to him, he said, you know, there's some people out there that are not good for us and they don't follow your laws, King Xerxes. But he gets Xerxes to agree. He he gets his ring out and seals the deal. And so now a decree goes out through all the provinces. There's like 127 provinces in, in Persia. Everywhere it goes out that the Jews, and, and they cast lots, and they determine 11 months later there's a date set, all the Jews will be destroyed. And this is going to be a collective effort. I mean, just a wicked, wicked uh, thing, but this is now the, where we find Esther and Mordecai when we get to Esther chapter 4. So let's pick up in, in Esther chapter 4. And it's here, Mordecai finds out first, before Esther, about this decree, and he tears his clothes, he puts on sackcloth and ashes, and he begins to go wailing around, just wailing, weeping, because he now knows that this evil plot has been hatched and what the outcome will be. And so word gets up to Esther, up in the, kind of up in the, in, the, in the kingdom there, hey, you know, Mordecai, your relative, this is what's going on. He's, he's wearing these clothes, and he's wailing, he's crying out, and, and of course, she's greatly concerned. This is like her dad. And this is her dad figure. And so uh, she then sends clothes with some messengers. Go, go take care of him. Here, give him some nice clothes to put on. And he's like, no way. I'm not putting on nice clothes. We're about to be destroyed. I- I'm-, I'm in you know, sackcloth and ashes time. I- I'm crying out. I'm in despair. And so he refuses. And this now begins a dialogue that will go between messengers, back and forth between Esther and Mordecai, that I want us to pick up. And so... Uh, We pick it up in verse 8 of chapter 4, and we'll read together. Let me go back to verse 7. So Mordecai told this messenger everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay to the treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead for her people. Okay, so let's just stop there. So here, here we have what I'm going to call the specific call of God for Esther. And, it, and God uses Mordecai to deliver it. And what is that specific call? He, Mordecai, through the messenger, says to Esther, you need to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Now, by the way, I, I think this is a, I know this is a her potentially going before a human king, but I think it's a beautiful picture of true intercessory prayer, right? Isn't that really what we do? We go before our king and we plead for mercy. We, we ask him to move on our behalf. It's a beautiful picture of, of really what prayer is all about. But in this case, uh, Mordecai is saying, you need to go before the king. Well, in normal terms, if you knew someone was married to someone, you'd say, well, maybe that's not that big of a deal. I mean, after all, just go to your husband and talk to him. But what's the dilemma? The dilemma we find out as we continue to read. And in verse 11, Esther reports back and says via messenger to Mordecai, Don't you know that all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. And furthermore, 30 days have passed since I was last called to go to the king. So this is one of those situations. The, the law of the land, including for the queen, you don't appear before the king unless you're invited. And if you should dare to go before the king uninvited, the law of the land is you die. And the only possible chance you have is if he decides to show mercy and extend, extend his scepter in that case. But the rule, not the accept, the rule is you die if you go uninvited. Esther at this moment is not invited. She adds that little note, in fact, hey, it's even been 30 days. Maybe what she's saying is maybe I'm not even in good standing with him right now. Remember, he's got a harem. He's got all these other women. It's not, this isn't like we think of in a normal relationship. So here she is in this very precarious position, she doesn't know how, her, her place with him yet. She doesn't know, you know when it's a good time and when it's not. And so here, her father figure Mordecai is saying, you need to go before him and plead for the Jewish people. And she's like, but yeah, you need to understand the circumstances. This is the reality. And, and I just want to pause on that because that's the dilemma. But isn't it true? Isn't it true that anytime there's a calling from God, there can be a sense of panic? There can be a sense of, What? You want me to do what? You want me to go and minister to the neighbor across the street who I hardly know? You want me to leave my job and go into ministry? You want me to become a missionary? You want me to, you know, I don't know, work with elderly people in a nursing home? What is it? But, but there's a sense of fear. And, and what I want to say today is that's okay, Because when there's a divine call, we as human beings, the natural response is to be overwhelmed. I mean, the biblical pattern tells us that. Moses was freaked out by the call of God. You know, what do you mean? I I stumble, and I can't do this. And and how about Jeremiah, the prophet? God comes to Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah, I've called you from the womb. You're going to be a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah's like, yeah, but I'm young. I'm really young. I don't even know how to talk good. How could this be? So the crisis that you or I may feel, the one that Esther felt, is a very typical one. Because we as human beings, to respond to that kind of divine call, it can be overwhelming. But aren't you glad that this God who calls us always equips? Aren't you glad this morning that that God who calls always follows with that that familiar phrase, one of the most familiar phrases in scripture, fear not, for I am what? I'm with you. My presence will go with you. I'm not sending you out as as orphans and as those who are going to go on their own resources. I'm going to be with you in this. If I have called, I will provide. I will lead. I will orchestrate things. But boy, it can be hard in that moment when we're sensing God's leading and God's calling to all the way be able to get there, right? Right? So, so Esther, I think, goes through a very typical kind of almost little mini crisis, and, and she's just really rationalizing with Mordecai. Come on, this is difficult. This could be horrible. But let's look now, as we continue this kind of back-and-forth dialogue, at a couple of what I think are very important perspectives. When we're going to recognize and respond to God's call or in this way, I love one of the next verses that happens. Let's read verses 12 onward in chapter 4. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but for such a time as this, you've come to your royal position. Now, I know that's, that last verse especially is the one we all kind of are familiar with, right? That, that whole, that part But let's just, before we get to that verse, let's just take a step back. I love in the middle of this dialogue, this phrase. You know what, Esther? If you choose to not go before the king and remain silent, this is for sure. Relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. This is Mordecai in an amazing statement of faith. This is a statement that says, look, I know right now there's an edict to wipe every last one of us off. But in my mind, this is what I picture Mordecai. I picture Mordecai going back and remembering God's promise to Abraham and God's promise that Abraham, a man who was elderly in age and with an elderly wife who was barren and and God's promise saying that out of you, out of you, I will make a nation with more people than the stars, descendants in the stars of the sky, more than the sand of the shore. I will rise up out of you that kind of nation, and I will make you a a blessing. I will make you a blessed nation, and you will be a blessing to the nations. And how out of that, Mordecai was probably familiar that not only through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but that through that whole genealogy would come the promised Messiah, the Deliverer. So Mordecai knows. He knows what's at stake here. There's a lot at stake. If every last Jew gets wiped out, how is that going to be fulfilled? but in the midst of that kind of crisis against that kind of thing Mordecai says you know what Esther even if you choose not to do this God's going to raise it up God's going to raise up somehow some way a deliverer because I know his promises and this morning I want to ask us are you banking on God's promises so often we, we, get, we get through the trials of life. We start seeing things through our own perspectives. We begin to rely on our own understanding. But this morning, for those of you God has been talking to, God wants to bring you back to that place of are you trusting my promise? What have I said? What has the Lord spoken that you can bank on and trust on when I call you to go and do what I call you to do? Are you looking to me? Or as the, the old song says, which report are you going to listen to? the bad news, the, the, the despair, everything that's pointing against, or are you going to listen to the fact that if I call, I will provide, and what I ordain to do, I will cause to come to pass. Mordecai speaks words of faith that ought to challenge us this morning. These words have challenged me to say, man, I can get awfully gloomy, I can get awfully Eeyore-ish, you know, from Winnie the Pooh, I can get awfully like that, but God, I need to get back. I need to hear your voice fresh again. Sorry about that. I need to hear your voice fresh again and clear. I need to trust in what you say and not just look at what the world and man have to say. God will bring forth deliverance. Are you looking to his promises when you think about what he's called you to do for him? But then the second part of this is Esther's response or not thereof because while we can look at God's sovereignty and his promises somehow some way and I'm not here to try to make everyone understand it somehow there's God's sovereignty and his promises but there's our human will there's our either response or lack thereof and and Mordecai addresses this with Esther as well he says don't think just because you're in the king's house that makes you safe And oh, by the way, if you remain silent, yes, God will raise up a deliverer. He'll fulfill his promises that he gave through Abraham. He will bring a Messiah forth, but you and your father's family will perish. There will be consequences to not responding. And I know this is sobering. I know that's kind of heavy. But I want us to remember that our part in this is huge. And not so much to look at it that, well, if I don't do it, everything is going to just go horrible, but what an amazing privilege God's bringing us in. This is a partnership with us and God. God says, I've got a calling. Now I want you to go and do. You know, I compare it to the farmer. Think of a, a farmer, and maybe some of you are. Farmers, you know, there's, there's, there's certain aspects you know you have to rely on God to do. There's things going on under, under the soil I don't know. I don't get whole, all that works, all that organic and that growth and everything. I mean, I know we got scientific ways to explain it, but there's something, you know, depending for the rain, the right amount of sunshine, all of that. But yet, God will say to the farmer, yeah, but you've got to go plow the fields. You've got to plant. You've got to sow. You've got to do these things. And likewise with us, God will call, but we still have a role in it. And why he trusts feeble us, I don't know, but he brings us into this process. And here Esther is being brought in. First Mordecai says, God will take care of this one way or another, but Esther, he's calling you. You are part of this. You are part of this whole thing. And you know, I I think sometimes when I think of the call of God, we can have two extremes. There's one extreme where we, we almost make messiahs out of ourselves and everything depends on me, right? If I don't go and do it, if I don't share the gospel, no one will get saved, right? We, we can get kind of a messiah complex. And that's where we need to balance it with no. God God has resources. It all doesn't depend on us. But the other side of the pendulum is this, where we say, ah, whatever, someone else will do it. Yeah, I know God's calling me, but God has a bunch of people he will do it. Well, Whether that's true or not, he called you or he called me, and we need to see our role in that. We need to see, God, you've spoken to me. Now, how do I respond? So I love kind of the balance of these verses. It's about God and his sovereignty, but it it also is about our unique response to God. You know, think about it. In the scripture, there's times where God just does what he does, but there's also times where people have to respond. You know, I think of Joshua. Israel's totally, you know, getting wayward from God, and, Israel, and, and Joshua comes and he says, you know what? Guys, you can serve those gods or you can serve the true God. As for me and my house, I've made a decision. We're going to serve the Lord. You guys do what you want, but this is what my decision is. We're going to serve the Lord. Or, or how about Isaiah? How about Isaiah when he's kind of taken up into the spiritual realm a little bit, and he hears the heavenly council talking about, you know, who's going to go for us? Whom will I send? And and, and Isaiah is almost, you know, in my mind, I picture him like a little kid, you know, jumping, raising his hand. Lord, here I am. Send me. I'm on board here. Now, Isaiah had a very difficult calling, but Isaiah sensed that call, sensed that need, and he, he kind of, you know, symbolically, if you will, said, God, I'll do it. I'll go. I'll go and deliver your message. Here I am. Use me. Send me. It's the personal part of this, it's the specific part of this. And then, lastly, the verse we all know very well this whole aspect who knows but that such a time as this, you've come to this position. You know, Mordecai not only challenges Esther that if you, know, if you don't do this, there could be bad consequences, but he says, He's saying here, Esther, think about it. Think of your circumstances. Was there any possible way you thought one day you'd be the queen of Persia? In your your most extreme moments of dreaming, could you have ever thought that? But you are. You are the queen of Persia. You've been put in a position. And while you may have fought that, while at times you didn't like that, that's where you're at now. And this is the situation we're in, and this is the calling on your life. There's a reason you were risen up to that position. Enter into the the promise of God. Enter into the call of God now for this. And I just love the way he does that. And you know, when we think of our own circumstances, it's not all about becoming elevated to become a queen. You know what? In a funny way, for some of us, some of the circumstances, ironically, are some of the hardships we've been through. A lot of us in this room, probably all of us, have been through stuff. We can go back to our childhood. We can go back to the circumstances around our family. We can go back to all kinds of things, and we can look, and We and sometimes we may have gotten angry at that. We may have been frustrated, and yet God all along was saying, I'm bringing you through this, and I'm going to redeem this, and I'm going to use this. I'm going to use your tears. I'm going to use your hardship. I'm going to use the circumstances that you didn't understand, but you will understand when I use you, when I use you to minister to people who are trying coming through through the very same thing i will raise you up our god brethren does not waste our suffering in his economy as a a wise woman once told me in god's economy there is no waste there is no waste of tears there is no waste of just being burdened beyond what we can bear god uses it all he redeems it all and he raises us up with that whole package to go forth in his name it's amazing god is amazing how he does that. And I can't sit in the moment someone's suffering and and, and be glib and just say, oh yeah, well don't worry, God will use that. That's not what I'm doing today. I'm not trying to minimize anyone's pain in this room this morning, but what I want to say is hold on to God. Hold on to God. Walk with God in the midst of it and let God take you through. Find out what God has on the other end of it. Hold on to him. Too often we let go in the pain and the suffering. We harden ourselves and we let go. Don't let go, brethren, this morning. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're struggling with about your circumstances or anything else, don't let go from that. Finally, and we'll end with this, and I appreciate your patience. I know it's, it's warm in here this morning. You know, we, we often, with, the, with this call of Esther, kind of stop after that, that very well-known verse. But Esther doesn't stop there. When Mordecai gives this message about, you know what, he's brought you to this position, I love, I love her response. It is so bold. It is so I'm all in. She says, all right then. I'm I'm in verse 15. Then Esther sent word back to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will do the same When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Now, first of all, I don't think that's fatalistic. I think Esther is all in now, and I think she is trusting in God. But the fact is, Esther now is in a place, you know what? It's the right thing for me to go. Regardless of the outcome, it is the right thing. Here we've come full circle, right? We talked in the beginning about doing the right thing, fulfilling God's commands and his principles and walking in his common call on our life. But now when Esther's in a specific situation, she's back to that same place. It's the right thing. But by the way, I'm calling everyone now to fast. Now remember when we talked about the book of Esther. We don't see the word prayer. I get it. She didn't say pray and fast. But brethren, we can assume there's a whole lot of praying about to go down in that place. They're going to be on their knees crying out to God because when they fasted, they prayed. And they are praying. Remember, Jesus even told us. He, he called us. He, said, he talked about in Matthew 6. He said, when you pray, da-da-da-da. When you fast, do this and this. Can I tell you this morning that there are times that when we finally come to a place, I recognize your call, Lord. I want, I'm in on your call. Then there's this last step of almost, if you will, bending into that call with momentum, saying, I'm on board, and now I'm going to consecrate myself fully to this. When Esther makes this call to fast, it's a a team thing. Everyone, I want to fast with me. This is big time, but she is all the way in now. I mean, think about it. She's going to have these attendants fast with her. How in the world did she explain that to them? These are, these are probably not Jews. They probably have no idea why for three days now they don't get to eat or drink. But she's going all the way in. Every one of us is going to fast, and we're going to pray because we're committing this to God now. I'm in God. I've heard your call. You've used Mordecai to speak to me, and I'm in now. And now I set myself apart through fasting and prayer to go and commit this to you. And boy, brethren, does God honor that. Does God honor that? Commit your way to the Lord, the Psalms say. He will make straight your path. Are you in the habit? Am I in the habit of the things we feel God calling us to, of committing them to God? God, I commit this to you. I commit this to you. Young people, are you committing the talents God's given you? Some of you are artists, some of you are good with technology. You know, some of you are athletic, some of you are whatever, but do you commit that to God? Have you said, God, this gifting from you, this ability, I set myself apart for you. I give my hands, I give my mind, I give my mouth, I give all of me to you. Use me for your purposes. See, that's what's going on here. Esther is like, you know what, you gave me prominence, you gave me a position, and in essence, I'm giving it all back to you. I am in total now, giving myself over to you, Lord. You know, on fasting Isaiah chapter 58, God says, is this not the kind of fast I've chosen to loosen the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke and set the oppressed free and break every yoke? He goes on in that great fasting chapter in Isaiah 58. He says later, he says, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I, here am I. You know, I don't know, I'm not here to say to anyone else what you do or don't do with, you know, how your devotion to God. But I would suggest to all of us, maybe there's a place for fasting again if it's not something we've done. Maybe it's a meal here and there where we're going to take that time to pray. Maybe it's a day, maybe it's more. But maybe if we've been fuzzy with hearing God, maybe if we've been struggling to break through, if you will, into that call of God, maybe God wants us to take a little set-aside time, you know, you know, we got family camp coming up. I'm not suggesting everyone fast there because I know there's good food. But, but, you know, set aside time where you get on your knees and seek the Lord. Finding that time, gathering with brethren. You know, I, I appreciate I know I've seen some Adam's Notes calling people to pray on a Thursday or, or you guys who've been praying. Tom, I know with the men's ministry, praying but believing God to bring breakthroughs. God wants to, God wants to honor the cries of our heart and the consecration that we give him. So this morning, why don't we all stand? Why don't we all stand? I know it's hot, and I appreciate everyone's patience. This morning, I just want to encourage us that God has a common call in every one of our lives. He's called us to things, and, you know... Some of us may have been in the Lord a little time, some a lot. Our knowledge of all that may be varying depending on which one of us, but but God is a calling. Walk in what you know of him that he's called you to. You know, walk in that. But then secondly, specifically, is he speaking to you? Is his living voice talking to you this morning? Or has he been talking to you maybe over the last months or years, and, and maybe God's stirring something this morning? Let God stir it. It's a good thing to let God stir. I remember Pastor Rhodes talked about that stirring uh, a couple months ago with one of his messages. Let God stir. Let him stir us and let him move our hearts towards what he's calling us to. Let, let's just pray this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the book of Esther. We thank you for a godly man like Mordecai and a godly woman like Esther. Lord, as we talked about in the beginning, Lord, many have said this book is too secular, too silent. But Lord, this morning, I see you screaming in the midst of it. I see your voice in the midst of it. I see your hand at work in the midst of it. And in the same way, Lord, for some of us this morning, we may have felt like there's been silence concerning our lives and, and, and any divine purpose in our lives. But this morning, Lord, I would ask that your voice would loudly speak to us. Loudly speak to our human spirit. Loudly speak to our hearts. Maybe there's couples this morning that you're speaking to them jointly. Maybe there's entire families you're speaking to them jointly. Or maybe just individuals. But God, I ask that you stir us this morning to your divine call, to what you have for us, Lord. Lord, thank you that you're not just going to give us something that just for the sake of shock value or overwhelming us. Lord, you have a purpose that's so blessed. Help us to enter into that. Help us to recognize it this morning. Help us to respond to it. And help us to, in essence, bend towards that call this morning, Lord. By your grace and by the power of your spirit, God, we'll never be able to do this on our own. But we rely on you today. We call on you this morning to enable us, by your grace, to do what we would never be able to do on our own. And we give you praise and glory for it, Lord. Bless your people this morning Father, bring release. Father, those who are burdened, I pray you release burdens this morning. Those who are heavy this morning, we ask that you remove heaviness from their lives this morning. Father, those who need healings of any kind in their bodies, I ask you to heal them. In their their mind or heart, I ask you to heal them. Father, if there's relationships in this room this morning that need healing, oh God, go to those relationships and bind up the brokenhearted in our midst this morning. Father, I pray specifically for young people, Lord. Awaken them, Lord. Lord, this is a loud generation. This is a generation with so much noise, so much distraction, just the electronics alone. But God, speak to this generation. Raise up this young generation, Father God, in the name of Jesus, for your glory and for your purpose. And we thank you for it. Now, Lord, as we go, we ask your blessing upon us as we go. I just pray over everyone, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to just shine on you, and may he give you his divine peace this morning. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Go in peace. Remember the announcements.